0: Hi, we are Distractions Media. 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 Over the past two years, we have raised money for charity during our 24 hour live stream in December. And we are currently preparing to do it again. This year, we're raising money for Anxiety Gaming, a charity that helps gamers and others find assistance for mental health issues including anxiety and depression. Last year, we exceeded our goal, and we are looking to do it again. With your help, we're confident that we can do it. You can donate at distractionsmedia.com forward slash donations by clicking on the link. Also, if you want to watch us play games, have fun, and join our growing community, you can come check us out at twitch.tv slash distractions It all starts at noon eastern on Saturday, December 2nd. Thank you. 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 Thank you, Thank you for your wonderful support. Bye. Welcome back to the Welsh History Podcast, episode 63, Howell the Good, the King of Wales. When Mervyn the Freckled ascended to the throne of Gwynedd, few could have predicted his great-grandson would achieve such lofty heights of almost becoming the king of all of Wales, in the face of English and Viking pressure. Howell claimed the throne of Dovid in 909, likely after years of putting an end to the legitimate heirs. Howell, like his father, was a powerful king, one who could leave a large shadow on Welsh history and set the house of Dynfyr in a position of power for many years to come. Howell rose to power in a time of waning authority for the kingdoms of Wales. Even in their own annals, there is talk of being subject to an overlord in the shape of the Lady of Mercia, Æthelflaed, and her brother, King Edward. There is no doubt that they owed loyalty to them. In the southeast, this influence dominated the Welsh kingdoms, who had become subject to the first Mercia and then Wessex. In the west and north, it was more gradual, until the Sons of Rodri, to use the Game of Thrones term, bent the knee to Alfred. Howell jointly ruled with his brother Kindog from 909 to 920. Though some say that they ruled different places, with Clindog ascending to the throne of Powis, while Howell took over the newer kingdoms the sons of Rodri had conquered. If the descendants of Mervyn were known for their aggressive and expansionist tendencies, it appears their heirs were not as concerned about this. Like his father and uncles, Howell continued to work peacefully with the English kings. He made homage to Edward as early as 918. He was also a signatory witness on a number of charters from the English royalty. He was, to put it bluntly, the king who played nice. At some point, either before his rise to the throne of Dovid, or shortly thereafter, he married Ellen, who was the daughter of the last king of Dovid. We do not know what this meant. Some scholars feel that she may have been used as a way of showing links to the old line— in other words, helping Howell try and get in good with the nobility in Dovid, and also to set some links back to the past after having eliminated effectively the line that came before him. She is one of the few women, of course, who is mentioned in the Welsh Chronicles, and her death was actually marked in the Welsh Chronicles, or the Welsh Annals, which is something of a surprise. Whether this is a sign that she was important or that it was an acknowledgement of the end of the old line or that possibly Howell and her were a love match and that they had similar power structures set up within the kingdom, it's impossible to know. Much like Angelflaed in Mercia is someone of a mystery. We know she had power. We just don't know what Aethelflaed controlled what she really had power over other than sort of what's given to us in small doses in the sources in fact women in early medieval wales are mostly non-existent in the historical record they like their counterparts elsewhere in europe did not feature except for when they were part of key alliance making or had something to do with taking over because either the king was too young or the king was dead And they were sort of the only heirs to the throne at that point. Aethelflaed is one of the few of these exceptions to the rule where her brother and her coexisted as equal and important people in the early upbringing of what would become the English monarchy. Uh, In 916... Anharad, as we mentioned last time, died. His rule saw the sons of Rodri claim most of Wales, and he became the elder statesman of the family, famously known to finally ally with Alfred, ending Welsh opposition to the English kingdoms for many years after that. With Angharad's death, his sons took the throne of Gwynedd, along with Howell and Clindog ruling most of Wales, During this period, Eidwal the Bald, as he was unfortunately known as, appears to be, at least initially, the senior monarch amongst them. Uh, At least that's what the sources on the Welsh side seem to point out. Whether it was because he was the oldest of the cousins, or whether as king of Gwyneth he was seen to have had more power is unclear. Uh, The other question is who these cousins owed their allegiance to. Was it Edward or Aethelflaed? There is a lot of discussion and opposition on who exactly was the English monarch that they owed their allegiance to. Professor Charles Edwards, for example, feels strongly that the cousins allied with the Lady of Mercia rather than the King of England after the death of Alfred. There is also a number of circumstantial references in the Chronicles that point out that the Welsh gave their allegiance to Edward after the death of his sister. If so, it was not going to last forever. In 918, as we said earlier, the cousins acknowledged Edward as their liege lord. This was an important point because it wasn't just one of them. It wasn't just Howell. It wasn't just Eidewald. It was both of them, and it was all of the others. Uh, And it's actually recorded in history, so we actually know about it. And interestingly, we also know something more about it, which is also intriguing, which we'll get into a little bit later. The peace of the Welsh Kingdoms, however, was shattered with the death of Clydog. Clydog was possibly killed by another brother, Murig. This is something found in later genealogies and in the chronicles themselves, but it's not mentioned at times during the period, so there is some question as to whether or not it's a legitimate name or if it's just some random person that they assigned being the brother. Nobody really knows for 100% certainty, but nonetheless... This shows that things were not as rosy as they appeared. Uh, one question of course remains in all this discussion is what happened to allow Cadell and his sons to conquer Dovid during the Welsh the West Saxon Hamini. Charles Edwards, of course, suggests that this may have been allowed as part of a tit for tat process, specifically with Aethelflaed, uh, The sons of Rodri were allowed the Mercians to have dominion over the southeastern kingdoms of Wales, such as Brechenog, and in exchange for that, they were allowed to push their claims in Dovid and take it over from the existing kingdom, which, to be fair, had been a West Saxon ally for years before that. By controlling these three biggest kingdoms in Wales, the grandsons of Rodri were able to effectively share a kingdom which was more or less... A united Wales. Both Caddal and Angharad labeled the kings of all Britons by both the Scots and the Irish chroniclers, which is kind of hilarious, but if they shared that kingship, then it would make some sense. There was this point of feeling unified, and it may have influenced decision-making, which then the inheritance of Eidwall and Howell would then continue, and this idea would continue they along with Clydog continued to appear to work in concert with each other at least that's what's presented from what we've seen but if the genealogies can be trusted and that they already show the signs of strain in this situation this jealousy and desire to create a centralized government of wales led to a lot of issues as the century wore along by 921 eidwall was fighting for his kingdom with the vikings His name was recognized second on the list of Welsh kings, making fealty to Edward in 918. Howell, not his cousin, had become the presumptive leader of the Welsh in the eyes of the English at this stage. Even during that process, he gets labeled as the King of the West Welsh, which may refer to the area of southwest Wales and the west part of Wales that he ruled but it could also refer to the idea that he controlled the western half of Wales. If you're like me and eating healthy is a bit of a problem, let me bend your ear a little bit to eat stress-free this spring with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Kato, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggies. Also, discover more than 60 add ons every week, like breakfasts, on the go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Get chef prepared meals on the table in two minutes with factors ready to eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. Also, if you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. Look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for our lowest carbon footprint meals. Head to factormealscom Pod 50 and use the code WELSHHISTORYPOD50. Get 50% off your first month, plus 20% off your next month. That's code WELSHHISTORYPOD50 at FactorMeals.com slash WELSHHISTORYPOD50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Hello, this is Gary Shahot, welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present, Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. His, and this recognition may have created some friction with his cousin. It's hard to say, but it certainly makes one wonder. At the death of Aethelflaed and the capture of Mercia by Edward The English were emerging from their section, Heptarchy, into a true single kingdom. It would take one more generation to confirm this, but the work of Alfred had laid the groundwork for this change. As the Viking threat to the north and the Irish Sea continued, the English coalesced around one king. In that way, it makes sense that they would see something similar in Wales, and thus why they acknowledged Howell, their ally. It would be important to them to have one representative instead of a bunch." And certainly it makes it easier if you're dealing with kingdoms. If you can deal with one kingdom instead of a bunch of kingdoms, it makes alliances easier. It makes it easier to combine and c- compare and contrast with each other to build armies, to call for help and aid. And Idyllwald may have been proven to be sort of a shaky uh, help. In 920... Howell combined his western kingdoms into a much bigger, richer kingdom, one he could rule and pass down through his family. The third great kingdom of Wales after Gwynedd and Powys. Doithbarth arose in the areas of the Gower Peninsula to the Stone Age settlements around Pembrokeshire to the mid-Welsh coastline just south of Aberystwyth. It became a third large kingdom, a third powerful kingdom, and the first southern kingdom to really start to dominate Wales as a whole, which hadn't really happened to this point. There wasn't really evidence of this before this. And, of course, partially determined by our sources being from Gwyneth. Similarly, I mean, our sources at this point are all from the Murfin line, so that influences everything we're dealing with here. But from what we know and from what we understand, this is now... A powerful strong kingdom and on par with their enemies and allies and the rest of Wales so that's important as Howell settled into his kingdom Eidwald the Bald in the north got mixed reviews from his English allies there is some suggestion for example at least from Professor Dunville that Eidwald may have been at least somewhat involved in the death of King Edward Edward died near Chester dealing with a revolt, so the evidence circumstantially puts the problem close to Gwyneth territory. And while Eidwald wasn't there and didn't seem to actually have any direct involvement, suspicion lies both within the sources and within some of the academics that maybe he did have something to do with it. And if so, then obviously he wasn't overly happy with his liege lord. And again, the old problems between Wales and England continued into that era, so as that hostility then largely ended at the end of Edward's life and the rise of his son, Athelstan, Eidwald seemed to show more allegiance to him. He paid homage to him. He came to his coronation. He was at signings and charters. But yet again, Howell becomes the primary ally. He's mentioned first in the list of kings. He is mentioned as being important, and and as I said before, he gets mentioned as the King of West Welsh, which may have meant all of Wales. It may have just referred to the southwest area he dominated at the time. It's hard to say, but the likelihood is at this point is Howell controls Powys. He probably controls Powys after the death of his brother. He controls Deuthbarth. He controls Breitannog very shortly after this, within 10 years. And he also is dominating pretty much most of the rest of Wales, with the exception of the Gwent and gluissing. So he is an important figure at this point and is getting kind of the predominant attention. It does make you wonder if, Eidwald is feeling frustrated by this, is feeling annoyed by this, and is jealous by this, and if that creates some of the hostility he has for the English. And they continue to have problems with the English going forward, but that's something we'll talk about a little bit more in depth in a bit. The relations between Howell and Athelstan, however, were very strong. Charters from the period mention Howell frequently as a sub-king to Athelstan. His legacy from 924 to 929 appears to be one of peaceful coexistence with all of his neighbors, and the violence of his rise to power, notwithstanding, appears to be that his original idea was one of peaceful coexistence. In 929, Howell makes a pilgrimage to Rome. He was the first Welsh king to do so, at least of any significance that we know of, And the confidence he must have had at this point in himself, in his security at home, in his security with his alliances abroad, must have been very strong indeed for him to make that decision and make that choice. Because realistically, no king leaves their kingdom if they're worried about someone coming in to attack it. No one takes a trip of months to go to a holy city and worship there if you feel like you could lose it all if you left. And this is an important point. This is before the Crusades. This is in, you know, well before that era of making those kind of commitments. This is still in an era where Vikings are attacking, where the English are not your best friend, and they might attack, and the Irish might attack, and all of these problems could have surrounded him, but apparently didn't, or at least didn't, or were at least taken care of enough that there weren't an immediate threat. And so he was able to go do this in 929. And so he goes to Rome. He experiences the joy of pilgrimage in an era where the belief and faith in God was very strong. And the understanding of Christian upbringing was you needed to go on pilgrimage to places. You needed to go to these holy places to understand. And this thought process that is starting to boil in Christian thinking will start to overtake it into the era of the Crusades. But at this point, we're just starting that process. And whereas pilgrimages were usually made to local saints and local martyrs, now we're starting to get monarchs that have enough disposable income, enough security to make pilgrimages to the big holy centers of Christian worship. And Rome is a big one in this period. So that is one thing that kind of shows you just how powerful he's become, just how strong he is in his own security, in his own safety, in his ability to be able to stretch his power without concern that he's going to get overthrown by one of his nobles, be defeated by Eidwald, be attacked by Aethelstan or his successors. And that confidence is an interesting fact. And it's one that you can take from this, that, for everything else we can say about Howell at this point, he is definitely a king who doesn't feel threatened. So in the meantime, this all changes, however, a year later and into the next decade. With the death of Athelstan, the English hegemony over Wales seems to slide. Under Edmund, there is no Welsh kings who are signatories to charters, no kings who are recorded visiting the court, and importantly, the Eidwall, who had been relatively quiet since the death of Edward, once again became an adversary to the English throne. Even Howell was brought back into the squabble from nine thirty to nine forty six The Welsh have no links to Edmund and do not appear again in English courts at least until nine forty six with the coronation of Adred in nine forty two Eidwald and his sons rebelled against the English, who were spending most of the decade fighting the Vikings. It was a huge mistake, and one that his sons would pay the price for. Eidwald and his brother Elsie were killed. His sons were then scattered by Howell, who then invaded Gwynedd, and in what looks to be an opportunist attack to support his allies in England, captured the last remaining Welsh kingdom to avoid his grasp. By 944, Howell had captured all but Gwenton Gluissing. He truly could be called the first king of Wales. His military sent the sons of Eidwald into exile, and little could apparently oppose him in Wales. The power of this Welsh king was intact, his dominion over the area almost undisputed. By that point, he'd become so dominant and so overwhelming that his success was then looked upon by later people as an example of to why he was given the epithet the good it's something that's not given to him until much later we we often think that these things are given to the kings at the time or within a short period after their death but in the case of howell we know scholars have said that it didn't come out until almost 100 to 200 years after the fact and that in part this was ...aligned with the laws which are claimed to be his. And they are something we're going to go into and talk about a little bit more in depth in another episode. But keep in mind that Howell the Good may not have necessarily been a good person... ...but he was a pretty darn good king as far as kings go in Wales at this period of time. He was able to maintain alliances with the bigger powers. He was able to keep them out of his kingdom... There wasn't any meddling in his affairs the way there were for other kings in this period of time. And he was also able to keep the Vikings out of his area and keep them away from him due to the alliances he had with other kings in the area. In fact, one could argue that he was probably the best king that Wales would have for some time to come simply because of his ability to grow his name, grow his legacy and, in the end, grow the power of the King of Wales. And by the end of it, he is truly the first legitimate King of Wales we have. Someone who controlled most of the country. None of these kings will control all of the country. There will always be a portion that will be slipping out of their grasp for various reasons. But he comes the closest. The only areas he doesn't control will become future marcher lord areas. And yet, That is in part because they're already dominated by the remains of Mercia, West Saxons, and eventually, of course, the English. So, realistically, his power at this point is at its height. His ability is at its height. His obvious military, political, scheming ability is at its height. And, of course, that's when he dies. (laughs) After having ruled uh, the area of... Dovid, since 909, he finally passes away either in 949 or 950 AD, having ruled his kingdom for nearly five decades or four decades. He has controlled and dominated the areas that he's lived in. This grandson of Rodri, this great-grandson of Mervyn, is legitimately a a power on the face of the Welsh political scene. His death will leave a chasm where a lot of problems are about to enter in as his sons and the sons of Eidwald come back into conflict again. But his undoubtable strength is perfectly well-matched with his abilities, with his power, with his connections, with his ability to marry the right people, to ally with the right people, be descended from the right people, and he gives Wales the best chance it's had since Wales became what we call Wales to actually be an independent kingdom. And even at that, he gets it at the very end of his life, and unfortunately for him, and maybe unfortunately for Wales, is never really able to put in place what the succession plan would be, how this would all work so that his son would gain the kingdom and that these kingdoms would stop being separate kingdoms, it would be one kingdom. He never got that chance. Five years after he finally took control of all of this, he lost his life and in the process lost control of the ability to influence the way the rest of the Welsh system worked. Could you imagine what would have happened if Alfred had died two years into finally uniting Mercia and uh, the West Saxons, all of this could have been damaging to the English. So you can see how that kind of thing happening has dire consequences to be fair. But either which way, we'll continue to talk about the fallout of the death of Howell and the influence that follows him still under the code of laws which have his name and how they predominate his legacy to us even into this day as people who study the history of wales huel the good howell the good is a name that will always be remembered because of this influence he carried and much like roger the great much like Uh, Llewellyn the Great Llewellyn the Last and of course Owen Glyndur they all carry weight in the history of Wales going forward and it's because of what they were able to do which was almost or completely unite the country and with that we'll leave you for this week Uh, as mentioned at the beginning of this podcast uh, we have a fundraiser going on I would just encourage you to have a look at it. It's at distractionsmedia.com forward slash donations. We are raising money for Anxiety Gaming, which is an important charity to us in our community in reaching people who have mental health issues. And conversely, I'd like to take some time and thank everybody who's become a Patreon member the last little while. It really makes me happy to, to see that. It helps me out. To, to help fund this podcast and any little bit that you give is sorely and and very welcome and sorely appreciated. And I definitely thank you from the bottom of my heart. I know it's not easy to donate to something like this, but I, I really do appreciate it and I will do my best to, to make you happy and to continue to desire to, to support this podcast and thanks everyone for listening, for your comments, for your suggestions, for your reaching out to me at times over different things, and also for your general uh, good wishes and willingness to listen. And with that, I'll leave you until next time. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Take care. Edge of the Abyss Creations is a proud sponsor of the Welsh History Podcast, your one-stop shop for unique jewelry, paintings and other crafty creations you can find us at facebook.com edge of the abyss one this has been a distractions media production for more info you can check out everything we do at distractionsmedia.com